Hey, well, good morning. How are you? I just had an awesome opportunity to pray over the missions team out there. They're, this is their last few hours in the United States. That's pretty exciting. So be praying for them this week as they, uh, as they, get, in, as they get integrated into Indonesia. Um, also, just a couple quick things before we really get going. Some of you may not, some of you may have been just joining the church in the last few months or so, and the next step for you, if you're a Christian, is to really say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join up. I think this is the place I want to be. And so we have an upcoming membership class that we'd love for you to get connected with. Again, that information's out of the connections table, and uh, membership is just an ability for us to all say, hey, we're marching in the same direction, and we know it, and it's our, and it's our challenge to, for you to kind of know us better and to know the church in a more way. Second, though, is um, one of the challenges we do give to members is this idea of serving one service and going to the second. That's always been established at, um, at Olive Branch since its inception. Ike would always talk about, um, the founding pastor would always talk about, hey, we go one and we serve a second. And some of us are not engaged in that yet. And one of the reasons why is because you have young children. And we understand that hey, I got to bring my kids to two services. So maybe you split your family up and your husband does a service and then you do one and you send your kids to one. We've just launched and it's open now is um, an available room for your kids to go first to a, to children's ministry and then to a second service. They can go into a, uh, into a game room, a playroom kind of atmosphere where it's not a lot of training, but it's a lot of time for them to hang out, make friends and play so that you can actually connect in either a ministry or go to church after you've done ministry at one of the services. So if you are interested, and that's been an excuse for you over the years, um, we've just removed that. We would love to see you get connected in ministry and service. There's lots of opportunities, tons of available ones on Sunday morning, like the host ministry, like the parking lot ministry, greeting, and uh, even, uh, even helping run our services. These are all available open options, and we would love for you guys to be a part of that. But we're going we're gonna to get a little bit more unsettled in our service life later in this series, and so uh, we're going to kind of keep things focused now. So if you would, let's, let's ask God's blessing on this time, if you'd pray with me. Father, we uh, come before you, and we do. We ask that you would just um, begin that holy discontent in our souls. God, today as we kind of examine whether or not we have been settled or unsettled in our walk with you or in our, in our relationship with you, I pray that you would allow us to take honest assessments of our souls, that we would be able to look deeply into our hearts to check ourselves and know whether or not we have hardened them or we are soft before you. And so God, as we do this, would you just be present in your word? And would you just be ready to... Um, to confront us with ourselves wherever necessary. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple years ago, my, my wife's been on, on and off Instagram over the years, and a couple years ago she would, had read one of, her, uh, one of her favorite people, was kind of a thoughtful person, or maybe it was last year, but sometime in the last year we would we'd go on dates, and uh, at one of the d- times where we were about to take off on a date, she says, hey, I've got an awesome idea. I think this would be great for us if we do this. I got this off of, off of somebody I was reading. I'm like, okay, what's this? She's like, let's, when we go on our dates, Let's restrict our conversations. I'm like, restrict, restrict our conversations. If you know my wife and I, we talk about anything and everything. We have considered our relationship one long conversation that's never stopped. And so she's like, yeah, let's restrict it down to we can't talk about the kids and we can't talk about work. And I'm like, well, what else is there to talk about then? You know, it's like, and the whole thing was to challenge ourselves to say, let's not assume we know each other. 
Let's assume that we haven't come to the place where we could answer each other's questions or we could say, hey, this is my favorite color, which by the way, my wife's changed like five or six times over the years, so I always have to ask, what's your favorite color now? And so, or what's, what, what is your favorite outfit now? Because life shifts and changes. We should never assume in any marital relationship, any friend relationship that we fully know somebody perfectly. Isn't that true? I mean, especially in marriage, it's like the deadliest disease. The second you assume you know your spouse and you start assuming you can answer their questions, it's over because you stop learning about them. You stop growing together. You stop exploring the the person that is your spouse or the person that is your friend or the person that is your family member. And the same thing that happens in the familial relationship, in the marital relationship, or in the friend relationship is also the same thing that happens in a spiritual relationship. That if you and I stop seeking to know God and we assume we know him, you will begin to find yourself in a state spiritually that I want to call the settled life. That we can find ourselves content. We can find ourselves in this certain set of scenarios that I'm going to lay out this morning to cha- that I'm going to challenge us in. And, and we may begin to re- not even realize our spiritual life is starting to grow thin. This entire series is going to be a challenge for us as Olive Branch to wake up from our lethargy, to wake up from our contentedness, to wake up from this acceptance of the American dream, to challenge ourselves to something greater. To perhaps get away from maybe the things we think are valuable in life. To get to what the Bible says is actually valuable. To challenge ourselves into a mentality and a mode of always pressing toward Christ. In fact, this is the challenge that Paul gives to a church called the Philippian church. Now, if you want to go there, grab a Bible, open up to the book of Philippians. We're going to look at this verse throughout the series, actually. And it's Philippians chapter 3, beginning verse 7 through 16. And that's a a large, uh, a lot of territory we're going to cover. But I want to challenge us in this section because Paul is trying to do something here. Here is a man who's sitting in jail he, and jails were not nice, pretty, pretty places. Um, we're, we're nice to our prisoners compared to the ancient world in which they would just throw you basically in a hole that was, um, that was where the dung ran under you and everything else rolled by. I mean, this is not a, a beautiful location. You didn't get food. You didn't get anything. And he's sitting in this jail. His ministry's on trial. It doesn't look good. And the Philippians have given him some money and some care. They've sent a, a guy to care for him. They've sent him some money. And Paul's writing to them, hey, I want you guys to keep this kind of mentality going. I want you guys to keep this kind of role in in your life. This is important that you don't lose track of who Christ is over various issues. And so in the middle of his message, he rolls into this, but after he's just said, hey, look, we want to press on, dropping off all of these amazing, like, accolades that we can get from life. You know, you're, you've got this degree or you've done these things or whatever. He says, let's get into the reality. We need to set those aside. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection may share in his sufferings, become like him in his death, that I, by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If any of you, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Oh, this is beautiful. I mean, this is Paul at his most passionate. And the, the language in the Greek is just, is filled with this intensity of emotion and value. He's not letting one idea go and he wants to drive it home. And that is this simple reality that he wants to know Christ. And it is those, that simple idea that will help you begin to see whether you're settled or unsettled in your life. Are you living the unsettled life or the settled life? And that's what I want to begin with. I want to really challenge us over these next six weeks in living an unsettled life and not be settled in your spiritual journey. And so let's start here. What does the settled life look like? It begins with this. It's the settled or content. We're content with where we are with Christ. We're content in life. And the unsettled, they long for more. I mean, here's Paul. Paul is in a jail. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's planted all these churches. He's written scripture. I mean, God's using him, but he's not happy with where he's at. He doesn't consider himself mature and perfect. He doesn't consider he's already obtained to the resurrection or, or even walking perfectly with Jesus. No, he is unsettled and he's willing. But the settled here is what he's warning about. He's like, don't get to this place where you think you've got it all put together. Spiritually, don't think you've got to this place where, you, where you're moving along and, and everything's working. One of, the, um, one of the statements here that he makes to really bring this out is right here in verse, nine, in verse 8. Look at it closely. He says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things. I count them as, and the word is skubala, which has been argued whether or not just Paul just cussed right there in the scriptures, actually. Because it's such an intense word. It is, and pardon, pardon I'll use the, the relaxed term in our modern English, which is, I, I count it as crap. If that's like offensive, that's the point. He's like, this is how gross this, my past is to me. Here he is, imagine him, he's sitting in a jail cell with this stuff's rolling underneath him. And he's going, that's my past. That's all the accolades I've received. That's all the garbage of my life. That stuff rolling right by down the middle of the streets that everybody would have known about. Skubala. Rubbish is our nice holy word we use. But that's, that's where he's going. And he says, but what, what's really valuable, guys? Intensely valuable is knowing Jesus Christ. Back when I used to do youth ministry, we would take the students to Magic Mountain. And Magic Mountain's an odd place to go. If you know, how many of you guys have been to Magic Mountain? You love Magic Mountain. Magic Mountain is like hours of boredom with sheer moments of terror. 
And that's exactly what Magic Mountain is. And I don't know why we go there to be bored most of the day, but that's what you do. You're just like in line waiting, going, I can't wait to be flipped over and scared to death. And so, but while you're staying there in the heat of the sun, it dawned on me that we were just bored. And so me and a group of the students there, we decided, hey, we're going to turn this into a game. And we, what happened was we said, look on the ground. Every coin you find, pick it up. Whoever finds the most money at the end of the day wins. Cash didn't count because all you had to find was a dollar and you won. But, um, and one guy actually found $25 once, and that's when that rule came in. But the reality was that we found these coins. We'd gather these coins up. Well, what happened is you just walk around constantly searching on the ground, and you weren't paying attention to anything else. And you'd see a fountain, and one year some guy's like scooping all the money out of the fountain. We're like, that doesn't count, you know, that kind of stuff. But it gets you in this zone where you're constantly searching. I would go to bed at the end of that day at Magic Mountain, and I would dream I'm hunting for money. It was horrible just like everywhere I look. But also, I think that associated into my dreams some weird things, because I would occasionally have dreams throughout my youth ministry years where I'd walk upon this, like, few dollars on the ground. And I'm like, oh, cool. I pick it up. It's like a $50 bill. I'm like, notice there's, like, a whole bunch of money on the ground. And eventually I gathered up, and it would, it would equate to, like, thousands and thousands of dollars. And in my dream, I'm thinking, what could I pay for? And what could I, and look at this, my heart was pounding. I was getting so excited that this money's just sitting there. And of course, in my dream, I'm looking around for who owns and nobody does. And it's like, this is awesome. I'm excited. And, and you know what? I think it's true for any of us. If you've ever found money on the ground, there's something like, oh, I feel a little guilty keeping this, but whose is this? It's exciting. There's an emotion when you find something valuable. If you've gone through the antique stores and you find something valuable, you're like, oh my gosh that's here. They want, what? That's, and your heart races. You get excited. When we find a beautiful person, men, when you found your wife, if you're married, your heart raced. There was value there. There is something powerful when you connect it into the reality of value. When your children are born, when you make a friend, there's a value there. You care about it. It's important. And yet here's what he says, surpassing all value was knowing Jesus. His heart pumped, pounded, got excited. His dreams leapt. His mind raced because he got to know Jesus. That's what he said right there. Everything else is like garbage. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to be near it. It makes the house stink. No, I found the most valuable thing in the world. It's knowing Jesus. It challenges me. Just that phrase right there, that I have it circled in my Bible, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, I started meditating on that this week, and I came to one conclusion. My heart is getting hard. If my heart isn't racing for Christ, if I'm not constantly like, ah, oh, Jesus, look what you gave me. Your word is a magnet to me. Act, living it out. If my heart isn't just seeing the surpassing value of knowing him, I settled. If some of us, we've settled. Let's face it. You have everything you need. You, you, you're not in debt. You've got your house, you, you, you're paying for it. you've got a great job, you've got the car paid off, you're Dave Ramsey in it, and it's awesome for you right now. Life is good, you're not unhealthy, you're fairly well, you're, you're doing good, and when I say you need more Jesus, you're like, no, I don't. 
My life's not really an issue right now. Jesus and I, we're good. I'm content with that. You know, if something goes wrong, you go like, but I do need Jesus when I got to make that deal. You know, I do need Jesus when I got to start losing that weight. Oh, I do need Jesus a little bit when, when I suddenly have a problem because Jesus is a tool for you. He's not a person to know. And if Jesus has become a tool for your lifestyle, you've settled. We've, we've come to a place where honestly, many of us would rather engage with Jesus when things are bad. But let's face it this way. Some of us, and this can include me, when things are horrible and rotten and all these stuff are falling apart, I'm like, oh man, I would love to get to know Jesus, but he, I gotta put him on the shelf for a little bit because I got these problems I've gotta fix. Been there? You're staring at the debt, you're staring at the weight, you're staring at the issue, you're staring at the family problem, and you're going, oh man, I'd love to have time with Jesus, but I'm too busy making sure I don't get new problems. And Jesus becomes just something else in your life, and we settled. These are signs of the hardened heart. There's just signs that begin to trouble me in my own soul that I see these things in myself where I'm beginning to go, I run to you, Jesus, when there's a problem, but when things are good, am I just passionately desirous of knowing you? I mean, let's put it this way. The unsettled, when they have everything, they're just not content. So you've got it all put together and they're just like, but I don't know Jesus enough. And let's be honest, that sounds weird, doesn't it, in our culture, to say that, hey, I've got all these problems. Well, you got to get up and go get that done. You know what? I did, but I, I got I to stick with knowing Jesus, though, because if I know Jesus really well, I'm going to be a better employee. Really? If I know Jesus and I'm pressed after Jesus, he's the most valuable thing, I'm going to be the best father. See, if I, I guys can, I can tell you guys this. It's like, hey, look, if I know Jesus, he's my favorite thing, and I'm after him, I'm going to be a better pastor. Anybody believe that? Yeah. We all believe that. You're like, you better. You know, it's like, that's kind of how that works. I get it. The same thing is true for you and your vocation. Because when you know Jesus, you become a better human. We become a better human. You care about people better. And that affects your work. It affects your parenting. That affects you being a spouse. Everything about you is affected because Jesus changes you. Knowing him shapes you. You start living like he lives. You act like he acts. You care like he cares. You love like he loves. You put the values of Jesus in front of your values. And suddenly that reworks the way you listen to your spouse. It changes the way that you get upset. Instead, you become somebody who's calm and patient. It changes the way way that you deal with your children because you have a heavenly father who you model yourself after. And the whole shift and change happens because we love Jesus as the centerpiece and we're unsettled to be okay with where we've come with Jesus. That's what Paul is getting at. And when we talk about the settled life versus the unsettled life, we're talking about the difference between being content and discontent and longing for more. Another one that, that shows up in this text is that the settled, we, we love God's ideas. Some of you are like, yeah, I got my quiet time, Greg. I spend every day, I make sure I pray, I connect with God, I'm good, I, I do my study. And I said, that's awesome. Many, many people who have settled love God's ideas, but the unsettled seek to live them. There's a vast difference between knowing about and knowing 
And, and that's really the difference here. Um, talking to Mark in, in a group, he was talking about his uncle who was a police officer. And, and his uncle would constantly inform us or inform him that, hey, you know, there's a big difference between being in the academy and being a police officer. Any police officers can agree with that? It's one thing to learn all about what it means to be a police officer when you're in the academy. And then you go out and you're part, of the, you're part of the police force and you encounter the various scenarios you've been taught about. It's one thing to know. It's another thing to have finally experienced it and know it. In fact, what was interesting is he said, um, prior to the police academy, yeah, you could, you could survive the psyche valve, but after you've been through the police force, he doubts any of them could make it through the psyche valve after that because they really know what it means to be a part of the police force. Now, that being said, I don't want us to settle for knowledge. Don't settle for knowing about Jesus. Don't settle for just enjoying what Jesus' ideas are. Yeah, you've read the Bible. Sure, some of you have even gone to school and gotten some, some theology under your belt. Others of us have, we, we could argue our way through a Ron Rhodes, you know, knowing, knowing the scriptures against, you name that, that particular group out there. And we can have knowledge but have we moved on from knowledge to life? See, some of us have settled with knowledge that you were saved. You walked forward at a harvest crusade. You walked, you sat and you, on the couch, you received Christ as somebody discipled you. Maybe some of you came forward at your church service or you raised your hand and you prayed a prayer and you never got up. You stayed there. You never journeyed further with Jesus. When you think of you're saved, you go, yeah, back there. I got saved. Some of you, you, you have, maybe you've been at churches and, and you've got a framework where, yeah, I'm going to be saved. Yes, I know that I was saved back there, but one day Jesus is going to show up and I'm going to be saved because he's going to show up and he's going to say, not guilty, and I'm going to be set free from my sin, and I'm going to be saved one day when the rapture comes or when Jesus shows up, whatever brand you, you subscribe to and the end time stuff, but somewhere over there, it's all going to be real. And we can either be so focused on the past or so focused on the future, we forget that the way that we live ought to say we're saved. Now, in fact, here, listen to Paul's most, most disturbing terms as we read this again. He says, Indeed, I count everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may what? Verse 8, it says, May gain Christ. Doesn't Paul already have Christ? And be found in him. By who? And what he means is the way that I want to be found in the end is ought to be the way I'm found now. It's not about the past and what happened to me back there. It's not about the future and what might happen to me in the future. It's about how I'm living now. Do you live in the grace that God has given you when you were saved back then? Do you walk in a manner so that you're striving, as Paul will say later, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead? Are we striving in our faith to know him, or do we just like the ideas that Jesus died for my sins? And there's no attachment to that, that I should live differently. There's no shift in, the, in my sexuality. There's no shift in my learning. There's no shift in my anger and my emotions. There's no shift in the way that I eat. There's no shift in how I view my body. There's no shift. Because I love Jesus' ideas, but he, what he did for me doesn't change me. 
There's a big difference between those of us who have settled for God's ideas and those of us who are ready to start living in his ideas. And that's radical. Notice how Paul puts it. Look here in verse, uh, it's actually in verse 10. And it says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What's interesting about the text is, is that you can, you can look at that verb, and another translation in the Net Bible actually translates it this way. It says, my aim is to know him. My aim is to know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. Whoa, that's intense. Become like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I'm gonna strive to know him. I wanna live like Christ. I don't wanna just know his ideas. I want them embedded in my life so that they come out in my workplace. They come out in my home. That, that means I have to make decisions that I may suffer for, for Christ. Just as Christ suffered for his decisions that he made to stand with his father. That may mean that I have to make a, a, the, a bold proclamation of praying over somebody and God may heal them through me, the power of the resurrection, and go like, I don't know what happened. That was weird. But the reality is we want to experience what God is doing. We want to experience who Christ is and not simply become people who, you know, we get it. We're Christians. We settle for the label. Paul didn't want to settle for the label. Paul, in fact, was the pa- a pastor of one of the churches where the label in- was invented. It was the church of Antioch in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, this little church in Antioch was living so much like Jesus Christ and talking so much like Jesus Christ, the people in Antioch called them Christians. And the word Christian means little Christ. Notice they didn't say, we're Christians. No, the world said, those are Christians. Those are little Christs. They lived in a manner where they received the label from the world. And because they were unwilling to just, they they weren't worried about labels. They were just living it out. They wanted to know experientially Jesus Christ. They wanted to live it, not just enjoy the idea. And I think we get that idea. In fact, here, one more illustration of how much they were willing to live this out happens in Acts chapter 5. They'd been, they, the apostles had been arrested. They'd been drugged in before the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling court of the land of Israel at the time. And they, they called them, they take them through this trial, and they beat them and charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Anybody here been beaten for Jesus lately? And you know, you're like at work, you did a bad job, so they literally like took you in the back and caned you. No, nobody's doing that. Not in America yet, but you know. Then, here's how they respond. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Do you count it worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ on Facebook? You count worthy to suffer dishonor when you get demoted because you stood for Christ and your principles. This is the difference between living the sufferings of Christ and knowing about the stories of his suffering. It infects and changes and shifts the way we live. The settled don't stay there. They, the, the settled also, while they can be content and while the settled can find, love God's ideas, they also have a tendency to look at length. You know, some of us are like, well, you know, I mean, I get it. I was saved back there and there's a future. But I, I've, been, I've been a Christian for, for 15 years. I've been a Christian for 50 years. You know, it's almost like, um, it's kind of odd to me. You ever been at those situations where somebody goes, we've been married for 50 years. And everybody's like, awesome. And they're like clapping because somehow that's like unheard of feat. 
And, I, and I've talked to somebody, and they're just like, I don't know why people are clapping. That's just what a marriage is. You get married, and 50 years later, you're still married if you're still alive. But, but because of the divorce situation, we clap. Wouldn't it be horrible if we got to the place in the church where, like, I've been a Christian for 50 years, and we're like, yeah, as if that was a rare thing? Man, to be a Christian, is a, it, it has a definition to it. It would be like us walking into Starbucks over here, and there's this guy, he's got his jogging you know, outfit on, which a lot of people are out in their jogging outfits nowadays, and you know, he's like, he looks like he's a runner. You're like, oh, man, you a runner? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm a runner. He's like, oh, how cool. Like, what do you do? It's like, oh, I've been in 10 marathons. Yeah, I did LA. I've done New York. And you're like, oh, awesome. Man, you must like work, you must work hard to do that kind of stuff. His wife walks up and says, is he telling you about his marathons? I'm like, yeah. He's like, he's never ran a whole marathon. He's only ran 10 miles and quit every single time. There's a big difference between somebody who's ran in a marathon and ran the marathon. The Christian life is the whole marathon. From beginning when you receive Jesus to the day you breathe your last, that is the race. God's graced you with another day to run. Are you running? God's graced you with another day to move forward, to press on, to strive, because the unsettled press on. Look again at these verses, 12, 13, and 14, are the focus of the rest of the series. So we're going to be harping on these the whole time, because that's the challenge of the unsettled life. Not that I have already obtained this. Paul saying, I haven't obtained the resurrection of the dead, or I'm already perfect. So, so let's not assume any of us have made it. If Paul's sitting there going, I'm not perfect. We're like, whoa. But I press on. It's the term of endurance, of shoving and pushing and pushing and pushing against a, against the wall, pressing and pressing. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize. I keep going. But do we view life this way? A pastor has once said, life is not a stairway to heaven. It's an escalator to hell. Stop moving and it will slowly take you down. The Christian life has three enemies that are constantly pressing you to settle. First of all is your flesh, yourself, the very sinful nature within us. Our hearts are wicked. Our desires long to just settle. They don't want to know Jesus. They want to have a good life. They want to have feelings of good feelings. And to know Jesus sometimes doesn't feel good. And so the very flesh that we have longs for things and desires certain things that is opposite to knowing Christ. And it'll call you. Just take a break today. Yell at that guy because it's going to feel real good when you yell at that guy who just cut you off. Right? I mean, there's these emotions in us that are there. They're ready to go, and the flesh is ready, and it's constantly saying, yeah, you don't need to do it like Jesus does. No, no, no. The second one is the world that our flesh has developed around us. What does the world do? It says, look at these awesome things that you can have. And then they hire people to show you how awesome they are, and we're all like, yeah, that looks awesome. They're actors, right? They're acting like it's awesome so that we'll buy the product and go, this isn't as awesome as it seemed. That's the reality of the world we live in, and we buy this stuff so it's just content, makes me satisfied. I just want to relax. I want to have a good life. I just want to live, live quietly somewhere and just, not, and just be left alone. 
And again, the response is, if that's a settling, because what would happen if Jesus said, I just wanted to live a quiet life, rest somewhere, and be left alone? We wouldn't be saved. And he calls us to live a life like him, and that means that we got to press on in life. We can't just settle down and stop. we got to keep moving, keep going, keep pressing forward, because even the enemy, the devil, the last thing he wants you to do is press on in knowing Christ. Man, he wants you to be wealthy, He wants you to have lots of friends. He wants you to have a good, big church to be in. He wants you to feel really content that you do great religious things. He does not want you to know Jesus Christ. He wants you to love the ideas about Jesus. He wants you to love the stories about Jesus. He wants you to love the Bible and to read the Bible. He wants you to do it religiously all the time. He loves that you serve in 19 ministries. And forgot about Jesus somewhere back there while you were doing it. He doesn't want you to know Jesus. But he'll be happy to share in anything else. And these enemies are constantly in our press. And so Paul says, I press on. I keep moving. In fact, verse 16 is an odd one. It says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. And the terminology there is, let us hold our ground. In military, which Philippi was filled with military men, when you press on to keep ground, you you need to establish your position so the enemy doesn't push you out of it. And some of you have gained a certain level in your spiritual life only to have settled and you drifted back. And you're like, I don't pray like I used to. Man, the word of God isn't like it was before. Man, I I don't care. Where'd this anger come from? I thought I had self-control over that. And it's because we settled and we lost ground. And this is the danger. We want to press on. We want to push forward. We want to keep knowing Christ. We don't want to stop. And so we're going to talk about how we do that throughout the rest of the series and in various places. And that's the challenge here. So I'm not going to get too deep. I just want us to see the different camps here. A settled life versus an unsettled. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's very overt. But the last one is this. That some of us, we've hit a settled life because we've stopped. We stop with suffering. And the unsettled strive on with They strive more in suffering. You say, what do you mean here? I get it. You know, some of you have come to Olive Branch because you were hurt at a previous church. Some of you have have been hurt at this church. And you you stay here long enough, you're going to realize we are a messed up group of people. And I'm talking about the staff, okay? That's, um, the bottom line is we're all, we are all broken, And we're all going to let you down eventually. You're going to let each other down. Your small group's going to let you down. If you're looking for Jesus here, you're going to find him, but you're not going to find him perfectly in each person. But he's shaping us. He's changing us. He's guiding us. And some of us, when we've hurt, we've been suffered. We've hit suffering. We stopped growing spiritually. We stopped serving at church. We stopped connecting with the community. We just started showing up. And some of us were so hurt, we, we, we stopped listening to that pastor or we stopped listening to that one. And our hurt has become more important to us than anything else. And you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry that you were hurt by church. And I'm sorry maybe an individual has hurt you. And if it was me, I, I really I am sorry. I don't want to hurt. But some of you feel like it's not me to apologize because God's the one who hurt you. Why did God let this happen to me? Why has God allowed this in my life? And maybe God allowed it into your life because he wanted to shape you. 
You see, Israel was harmed by God. Oh, yeah. Israel was very insulting to God, and over the years, God had to do something. In fact, he exiled Israel. He said, get out of my land. I know I called you out. I know I made you my kids. I know I loved you like crazy. You have insulted me to the end. Get out of my land. And the Israel was like, what are you talking about? You kill our kids. We have all this suffering. What's going on? And Hosea comes out with this prophecy. And Hosea says something that just, it, it is magnetic to me because I believe it was in the mind of Paul when he wrote this book in his suffering. He said, come, let us return to the Lord, I, uh, Hosea yells. For he has torn us that he may what? Heal us. He has struck us down that he will bind us up. You will find if you are willing to move from the settled to the unsettled life, he will strike you. Oh, he will tear you open because he doesn't want you to stay there and it's hard to get moving, but he tears you to heal you. He strikes you to bind you up and in two days he will revive us. The third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Not only is that echo of Christ, that echoes of Paul who was literally struck Blind for two days and on the third day received his sight. And so what's, what's Hosea's response to this? That if God is this healing and God does everything with a purpose for our good, what should we do? Let us know him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. God is waiting for you to move again. God is sitting there waiting for you to get up and move to him. If you will seek him, he will find you. If you will press to him, he will grab you. If you're a sinful wretch like me and you desire to be saved, he will save you. For our God is waiting. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. Let's not settle. Let's live the unsettled life. Let it disturb our hardened hearts until the water comes upon it again and it becomes malleable before the Lord and they beat to know God, to know Christ in not just the ideas, but in the living itself. Amen? Let me encourage you, if you do not know Christ, He is so ready to meet you and receive you. He loves you so greatly. He has given his life that you could have a relationship with him. But you know, as we move forward here, I want to challenge all of us in this room to evaluate ourselves when it comes to knowing Jesus. Have you settled? Do you know him? Have you become content spiritually? Has your heart become hardened? Or is it time for your heart to be broken loose and to enter into the unsettled life? I'm going to leave that to you guys. As the worship team's coming up here, they're going to play, and I want to leave you with the Lord. I want to leave you to talk to him. If you, if you don't know him, you can even talk to the Lord right now. He's listening. He'll tell you one thing, come to me. But as they play, as they lead us in this time, allow God to speak to your heart about where you're at. And if we need to repent, we're going to take that time here in a minute. We need to turn back to God. We're going to take it at a break here. But join with me. Bow your heads. Let's just sing, worship, ask God to open our hearts.